Hello, and welcome to episode 253 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for Sadistic Mirthful Antagonist Revelations Trouble Superheroes. <laughs> or Sneaky Mariner Artfully Revamps ther Therapy Solutions. Ooh, very good. Thank you. My name is Rediger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, dash, Podcaster. Correct. So we actually have a little bit of news this week. Duh. So a little bit of movie news, a little bit of TV news. Okay. So uh, the report came in that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, a.k.a. Bennington Cumbersnatch, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Basilisk Cockatrice, mm -hmm. is going to be <laughs> uh, appearing in the third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Wee. So I think what they seem to be doing here thematically, if you want to try to glean some sort of pattern, is that each movie kind of presents him with a different father figure for him to either emulate or rebel against. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Iron Man in the first one, Nick Fury in the second one, and now seemingly Doctor Strange in the third. Mm -hmm. um, but this is cool. And with the, I don't know, I mean, and the, we didn't even talk about the uh, the report that Jamie Foxx will be playing Electro in this movie. And he mm -hmm. played Electro in the Andrew, Gar Andrew Garfield movie. So it, is this just... Like another J.K. Simmons where it's the same actor playing the same character in a different continuity? Or is there going to be some... Cause the speculation is all over the place, of course, because Doctor Strange will just have come off of uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which introduces the multiverse. So now some people are speculating that this is literally yeah. the Jamie Foxx Electro from the Andrew Garfield movies. And maybe Andrew Garfield will appear in this movie. And like, I don't know about any of that. I'm not sure like a Spider-Man movie is really the place for all of that, but... Who knows? You know, you've got that speculation in there. Um, and he did, he, you know, he has interacted with them pretty extensively in the Avengers movie. So there's a bit of an existing relationship there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun to see the characters interact and see more of uh, Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think this is going to be, be good. Yeah. Uh, so in TV news, we have more details on the Green Lantern TV series for HBO Max. Uh, so we know that it's going to be run by uh, Mark Guggenheim, who, of course, is the grand poobah of all the CWDC shows. And, and I'm blanking the name of the other fellow, Seth Graham Miller or something like that. He was he was attached to the Flash movie for a hot minute and then no longer. But he was the writer of the Lego Batman movie. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're going to be running it. And the little blurb in the uh, in the press says that it's going to feature Green Lanterns such as Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott. Mm -hmm. And this version of Alan Scott will, like recent versions in the comics, be gay. Mm -hmm. I think that they're staying away from Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart because my guess is that they're probably going to be in some movie version of Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. um, whether this is in the same universe as that, who knows? But I think they want to avoid like a lot of, like, oh, here's a movie Hal Jordan, and here at the same time is a TV Hal Jordan. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to see Kyle Rayner in there. And they also say that characters like Kilowog and Sinestro will make appearances. So mm -hmm. it sounds like they're going to be pretty expansive with it. But I think that, um, I think that Guy, Simon, Jessica, and Alan are probably going to be like the four main ones. It would be weird to see a version of Alan that was peers with the others mm -hmm. instead of considerably older. Mm -hmm. Um, that would be really weird, but who knows what they're going to do. Um, so yeah, and Jeff Johns is going to be a producer on it and, uh, it's all getting rolling soon and we'll probably... See that sometime next year. Yep. And we also got a little bit of Star Trek news that the Nickelodeon uh, kids cartoon Star Trek Prodigy will apparently star Kate Mulgrew returning yeah. as Captain Janeway. Yeah. Uh, and sort of like a mentor role for the show. We don't. We have no idea when it's set yet, so we don't know if this is going to be um, pre-Voyager Captain Janeway or post-Voyager Admiral Janeway. Mm-hmm. Or I saw someone speculating even that this might like take place 
in the Delta Quadrant. Like they get like they, right. you know like in between this is a side quest, seasons yeah. of Voyager where she like takes these kids under her but, but there was never the the idea for the show is supposed to be that they these kids find like an abandoned Starfleet vessel and have adventures there'd be no reason for there to be an abandoned Starfleet vessel in the Delta Quadrant mm-hmm. unless there was another one out there aside from Voyager and the Equinox yeah um which I suppose is possible but it seems like it would be straining credibility I think you would just set it after after Voyager and everything, it seems too. to be when most of the current stuff is, you know, like Lower Decks and Picard are all in that time. Yeah, because when anyway. she got back from Voyager, she wasn't immediately promoted to Admiral, right? Like that happened. Later. It happened was... pretty quick because Nemesis was two years after Voyager ended, and she was already an Admiral when she appeared in that. So she was promoted pretty quick. So there you go. You got a two-year window <laughs> for her still to be well, but I doubt that she was sent back know. out on another mission. You know, right in there. I think that. You know, they probably probably would have taken them a good year to debrief everybody from Voyager about all the crazy stuff that they yeah. they witnessed. Yeah. Um, and then she probably would have been happy for a desk job for a little while after that. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But it's cause she sounds excited to begin it. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's going to be a substantial role um, because she seems like she's in pretty much every episode based on the way they're talking about it and the fact that she's, she's getting all the scripts and she's recording multiple episodes. It sounds like it's not just going to be like... Leia in Star Wars Resistance where she was in like two episodes or something or right. even Poe in Star Wars Resistance where he was in like four or five over the course of two years right 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 sounds like it's going to be more substantial so that's cool and of course it raises the possibility of other cameos too like some of her, her old crewmates might come by come by to lend a hand or something I mean what a, what else is Tim Russ doing these days get him in there right um so yeah it, it's fun I always like to see the the actors returning to their roles we might talk about something along those lines a little mm-hmm. bit later also uh but that's it for TV news that's awesome. So what was your comic of the week? So this week and last week, <laughs> this last week, I picked um, Hellblazer, the last issue. No, the penultimate issue, I think, right? Of this story arc. I believe arc. it's the, there might be one. I'm not sure if there's one more or two more. Yeah. Well, this one was very exciting. Whatever number it was, it was very exciting. I'll go into it in a minute because I also want to honorably mention uh, Far Sector from this last week that we read. But um it continues to be awesome, but it didn't bump Hellblazer because Hellblazer was just so rich, full of story. We get a little bit more contact. Finally, we get to see old Constantine interact with our Constantine and figure out what the deal is or just at least part of it. It kind of raises more questions than anything else because he seems to find him in a dream and he seems to sort of self-identify as could be a vision, could be a dream, could be a future, could be anything. Um, I'm not committing to one sense or another. I mean, I'm you and I'm trying to get you to be me, but I'm also trying to get you to kill yourself. Um, Wait, I'm me. Right. Hey, don't jerk me around, mister. Um... Did I get the quote right? Now I'm stuck on that. Why did you why did you derail much. me? Oh, good. Okay, I say I'll take pretty much for 300, Alex. Anyway, um, where was I? So you derailed me completely. How could you? How could you? That's what I do. Ah, um, we're it's it's late here as we record this, and my brain is definitely not caffeinated enough for this. Um, let's see. You're killing me. You seriously derailed me so hard. Oh. Can you talk more about that issue? Because it was good. And it was a nice issue. <laughs> what else? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Wait. <laughs> the <laughs> you derailed me again. You suck. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I can get this bird back under control. Okay. The thing I was going to say before you did the thing. <laughs> Could you? <laughs> now you're just making faces at me. You're horrible. <laughs> Oh, no. Okay. Um, 
Okay. Um, all of Constantine's friends to this point are also unbeknownst to them, but known not known to us actually. We don't know. We don't know until the end um, that they are also experiencing part of this dream too. Because as as Constantine is talking to his older version of himself, his older version says that yeah, you're here with me while I dis- so I can distract you for- while I go around and kill your friends. And so there's another entity that's like hunting all of these all of his friends down the girl the the scottish girl at the pub um the 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 scottish bouncer at the pub that has the unicorn knuckles um the very hippie sort of uh hippie hipster i should call him um the mystic guy that's such a sweetheart and he's just you know trying to his hand at like the lighter side of magic and helped him out with a couple cases um the the mute boy that's um been helping him he he can hear everything but he can't uh talk and he has the the pad around his neck that helps uh, and he's been trying to turn his life around um originally we found him in a gang and now he's sort of walked away from that and trying to scrape by a, a better life um and who else so those three oh right the demon that he has trapped in his phone so even the entity is somehow able to reach the demon inside constantine's phone which by the way is an amazing sentence um and all of them have horrible horrible visions of how they die um and it's weird because it's some sort of an entity that seems to have like a fox face and is dressed like a a a suit it's like a court of owls fox but uh, a court of owls uh, face mask but like a fox shape i don't know i thought the art was really intriguing for that because it's just so weird and random and disconnected from everything we've seen so far but so fitting to the rest of the tone of this issue uh it's just okay i guess um and then they all wake up at the end of the issue thankfully they're not actually murdered because we don't know that until the end and all of them are texting him uh and I really love that the, at the end of the issue, Constantine wakes up and it's it's all been a dream on his end, but also he's getting text messages, but we don't see the names of the people, but we can absolutely tell who they are by the way they text him. And it's it's and they all do it at the same same time. It's wonderful. Uh, it just the entire issue is so rich, full of story and the, the conversation between old and new Constantine um, is very interesting and chaotic it's going to be very interesting to see how it all resolves because now we understand that the entire motive is to collect Constantine's soul by way of having him kill himself because no demon is up to the challenge of actually killing Constantine and the only way that he's going to be successful in this is if he convinces somehow Constantine to kill himself which is a very strange thing for a future version of yourself to want (laughs) but there you go um anyway it was a really powerful issue it was really interesting to read and so that's why i had to pick it uh two weeks in a row as a, as it were how about you would you Very pick good. so i picked batman three jokers number two from last week nice um this was just as strong as good. the first issue a really interesting follow a follow uh fallout i should say from jason killing one of the three jokers at the end of the last issue so yeah he gets kidnapped by the other two and there's like an interesting sort of torture scene there there's interesting scenes between him and barbara um there's we get a little bit more inkling of what their plans are batman and barbara go to rescue him and there's a whole you know in this abandoned sort of um rec center yeah there's a whole creepy sequence there where there's like a bunch of jokerized people that that attack them and it's just really, it's beautifully illustrated, really, really well written, like really interesting examination of not not even as much the Joker, at least not yet. Like it's kind of interesting to see him in these 
disparate elements, but it's really more an examination of how his of the like the damage he left in his wake, like on on Barbara and Jason mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman himself is just sort of like a a force in this story. He's not. We're not really so much. We get a little bit. A little bit of introspection, like about how he feels like he's failed Jason and so on, like and that. how but he values Barbara too. He he says that he wishes that Jason were as strong as she was to recover from similar trauma dealt yeah. to them by the same I, person. I think it's really her, it's but... really like a, a Jason and Barbara story, though. Like we yeah. get a little bit Agreed. of a little bit of Batman, but it's more like how he feels about them and how he thinks of you know of like them, yeah. how how their actions sort of reflect on him and how you know how they're influenced by him and so on. But it's really more about them and less. I would say less even about the, the different Jokers than it is about those two. So yeah. it's interesting. But it's, it's really, really well done. Yeah. So there's only three issues. So in another month or so, we'll get the next one and hmm. we'll see. What happens? And it's supposedly, I think it's supposed to be in continuity too. So we'll see if there's some sort of fallout from this going forward. And the other, if only one of the Jokers survives or we, I mean, we still, we're sort of, we're given enough here that if there's no con- concrete answer as to like why there's three of them, we can kind of piece it together. Like, oh, one of them was first and it seemed like they want to create, because now they're trying to like turn Jason into one too. It seems yeah. like whichever one was first is like trying over and over to create the perfect Joker, mm-hmm. to create like the perfect foil for Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're given enough here that if we don't get any sort of um, full explicit explanation, I feel like we still, we're given enough to go on. So they, they don't need to completely spoil the mystery if they don't want to, but... Yeah. yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, I agree. It was a good good issue. So should we move on to our quiz activity? Quactivity? Yes. Yes. So this week, we've got another Gundam-related activity. Oh, boy. Because we're finishing off uh, Mobile Gundam Suit Wing. Gundam Wing. So this week, I thought we would rank the settings. <laughs> so I've got five time frames slash timelines, and I thought we would rank which one we feel is the best setting in terms of like... Oh, as how interesting is the conflict? How interesting is you know the the world and the different you know forces that are vying for power and mm-hmm. you know the where where the battles take place and so on like that. Um, so we've got the so the five of them are the the one year war, so the original conflict of the Federation versus Zeon that we see in the original TV series and movies and a little bit in some of the side stories like War in the Pocket, a little bit there at the end. Yeah. Then we've got. Um, what you what you might call early universal century so mm-hmm. stuff that was after the one year war but isn't like generations later so here we're talking mostly about like zeta double zeta and shars counterattack mm-hmm. like the the whole titans conflict and then all stuff with axis and then the final battle with shar and his resurgent zeon movement then we've got the late universal century mm-hmm. which you could uh, categorize the f91 movie and then v gundam because that's like 60 years after shars counterattack then you've got the future century timeline, which is what uh, G Gundam was set in. And then you've got After Colony, which is what Gundam Wing is set in. So you've got One Year War, Early UC, Late UC, Future Century, and After Colony. Oh, man. Um, I really don't... This is not a good one for the brain of the Ghoulia because I just... I don't really... Um, let's see. I feel... Okay. Well, maybe the original one, the One Year War, is is um, the best because I feel like it was the most fleshed out. Um, let's see what else. The can I take a look? Okay. No, I don't understand. <laughs> I can't. Your notes don't help me at all. Um, I remember the One Year War because it felt like it was the most historically impactful and most developed from uh, everything else. Um. 
the Gundam Wing one that we're watching right now, mm-hmm. it's very interesting and I like it. Um, but it's not super. It's not going to be super high on the list because it's not as fleshed out a time frame as um, the other stuff seems to be. So let's see. What's late you see again? Uh, mostly just V Gundam, which is the series we watched before this with Uso and the. Uh... That was very interesting because it followed out. It followed up to everything. I think that one's my second favorite. Yeah, because it followed up to everything. It referenced all the things that came before that were in continuity, as it were. And it um, it ended so nicely. So I think that's my second favorite. Then the early UC is going to be my third favorite. What's the future century again? That's with uh, Mobile Fighter G Gundam. I don't remember that one. What the one with the, with the Gundam fight. Oh, um, that's my, yeah, that's... That's going to be my third favorite. Then it's the early UC, and then it's the after colony. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I've seen more one-year war stuff than you have. So, yeah. But I think that that's probably, that's probably my favorite. I think I might have to put after colony second just because. Oh, interesting. In some ways, it's kind of like a different, a sort of a, a slightly more s- simplistic version of the whole Federation Xeon thing. But yeah. as it goes, there's so many. As it continues on there's so many reversals and new new powers that rise up and like oh you got the the alliance and then you've got oh it turns out oz takes over them right. and then you've got oz splits in two yeah. and then there's like the colony now first the colonies the good guys and the colonies are the bad guys yeah. and you got white fang and then it's like oh now oz is good because relina's in charge but then Tra- you know what i mean like there's so many right and in some ways there's almost like too many reversals that happen yeah. too fast and yeah. you don't really get a chance to to catch your and breath. it all happens within the same time frame of the show but that doesn't really the the yeah but the entire time frame is referenced i I think it's kind of interesting though that you have this sort of decadent uh aristocratic ruling body Mm -hmm. which is something you don't really see as much in the uc stuff where it's like the uc stuff is more like the real world where there's like there's the there's the rich sort of one percent and they don't really care what happens to everybody else and they're kind of running things but it's not like the near illuminati level of control that these like 20 people in a room have in in uh yeah yeah and i also like the idea of like a world a world that's sort of this close to embracing pacifism but can't quite make like that's something you never really get a sense of in in the other series where it's like oh there's going to be a war and there's probably going to be another war and then another war like you never get the sense that people are really learning anything right yeah and in that way it's also more like the real world um than the after colony stuff um I think the early UC would then be my third because I think that it's interesting, especially in Zeta Gundam, where the, the quote-unquote good guys from the first series then later kind of become the bad guys with the Titans. And then good guys and bad guys from the first series have to throw in together. That's yep. sort of an interesting reversal. Yeah. Um, and then you introduce the Axis Zeon into that, and now you've got sort of an interesting three-way conflict with their own goals and and, uh, and priorities. Late UC, I mean, F91, we never really got too much of a sense of that conflict. V Gundam, I, I, as much as I enjoyed the show, we we did feel like the setting wasn't terribly fleshed out and that we didn't really fully understand what Zanscare yeah. was at. Like, I guess they want a matriarchy, but but why and how would that work? And right, what, right. where did she come from? And like, we it didn't feel f- fleshed out to us. That's and so true. I guess that would be my problem. It was, it was intriguing. 
but I wouldn't say it was like flushed out enough to be one of my top favorites. That's that's fair. I just I like the way that it was resolved, and I like Uso's part in it. So I was thinking more about the kids, but you're absolutely right. Like I should have thought about the monarch too. But still, I don't think my ranking would change that much. And then Future Century, I think I'd have to put last, just mm-hmm. because it's so fantastical and over the top with the Gundam fights and the colonies that are shaped like stereotypical landmarks of the country that they're from and everything. Like it's it's like a you know it's a it's a cartoon world, and so it's not as interesting like i wouldn't want to read you know like there's so much so many side stories and manga and novels and stuff about all the nooks and crannies of the one-year war and the universal century but there's almost nothing about the future century and i think that's because like would you want to read like a series of novels yeah. that explain the backstory of the future it'd just be like there were a bunch of other gundam fights like what else is there to say right mm-hmm. there's not a lot of meat to that world yeah. you know it's sort yeah. of very surface level so as entertaining as it is there's not really a lot to to dig into there so i i think i'd put that one last yep yeah i agree so should we move on to our shows Yes. So we have the final two episodes of season one of Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. So last week's episode was Crisis Point, which was the um, sort of send up of the of Star, Star Trek movies. Yes. Yeah, that Everything was so from the, good. The original movies to the J.J. Abrams movies. And then the season finale this week was There Are No Small Parts. Yes. So last week's episode was a lot of fun. I mean, we could we could sit here all day and just list yeah. off the different references and parodies. But I think it was it was really well done. And, and of course, you've got the actual heart to it, which is mariner's relationship conflicted feelings Mm -hmm. about her mother and like she is part of her wants to just like rage against everything and and tear everything down the other parts part wants to like support her mother and look after her and yeah and and um and stay in line with starfleet uh ethics and morals you know the the code the code that she actually does believe in right and then you get all the fun all the fun movie stuff like the the way too long loving uh, <laughs> sh- shuttle yes. going around the ship while everybody so ooze, many ooze flares and too. the lens flare the lens flares. and the fact that like like rutherford had the line oh you know beaming stuff you can you can do whatever beaming stuff you want in movies which of course is a, is a reference to a million different yes. things but probably largely the whole um transwarp beaming in the first jj abrams movie right. and then the the thing in the second movie where well i guess probably mo- mostly that where you could seemingly beam anybody any distance Yes. Even while at warp, or like the Khan could beam from Earth to Kronos. Yeah. Like halfway across the quadrant because of this thing that's got like, it's like, wait, what is that? Like, that's the whole, like, you yeah. can beam whatever you want in movies. Um, yeah. And then, like, there was a whole sort of Wrath of Khan thing with was Mariner's great. character in there. And she was so funny. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you that the performance, too, the vocal performance when Tani was. Um, playing her more con-like self her antagonist character it was just so funny because it was it was mariner but it was also like this heightened elevated version of mariner and she just really let it rip and it was glorious she chewed up the scenery so hard it was beautiful um i like the story i like the fact that that's how boimler discovers that uh mariner is there uh is is related to the captain and i also love that mariner programmed it in like two seconds by hijacking boimler's code um and i also shout out to paul f Tompkins's appearance as the bird uh um, therapist with the food references because it was hilarious so yeah and then this week's episode the season finale so everything comes oh to a head God. everybody if finds you haven't out, watched it seriously go back and watch it everybody finds out that mariner is captain freeman's everybody. daughter everybody um so i mean everybody kind of i mean i guess the only character 
who didn't get as much of an arc in this one is Tendi, kind yeah. of. I mean, she has the whole thing with uh, with Peanut Hamper, which is really which is really funny, but she doesn't so much get like an arc in this episode. But Rutherford has the whole thing where like his implant is torn out, and now he's got to sort of relearn Everything. who everybody is. Yeah. Boimler gets the thing where he finally gets the promotion. He's been he's been bucking right. for and and transfers over to the Titan. And Mariner gets the thing where she sort of finally makes peace with her role on the ship and she and her mother sort of join forces yep. so that she can, you know, they finally the ca- have a much captain needed can, conversation can have her back and yep. she can be like the wild card, but like de- deployed tactically to get stuff done as opposed yep. to kind of working against the captain. Right. Um, so they all kind of get like an arc and they're, they're all left in like an interesting new place at the end of the episode. Whereas Tendi gets the fun thing with Ensign Peanut Hamper and everything, but she's not really in a different place at the end of the episode than she was at the beginning. No, but the whole thing with Peanut Hamper was, was really funny where there's like, it's it's again it's what's great like oh let's take the exocomp episode quality of life from yep. you know 25 years ago and let's say well you know two or three generations of exocomps later maybe one of them would actually would have developed the you know the full sentience and communication skills to be able to enter starfleet and yeah. you know attain rank although she seemed like she was a pretty bad officer ultimately, so yeah. I'm kind of wonder how she passed all the psychological I love exams. Tendi's, that's true. I love Tendi's reaction though because she wasn't very good at all the things that required manual labor, but inside in when she was working with the Cation doctor, whose name I can't remember. Whose name is it? What what's what's uh, the doctor's name? Ta'ana, isn't it? Ta'ana. I, I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> um, anyway, she's working with the with the doctor, and uh, she applies a suture that's like really precise and perfectly executed. And so she 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 acquits herself medically even better than Tendi did. And um, Tendi sort of commiserates with another patient, but the patient misunderstands because he says, um, "Oh no, you know you'll you'll do better or something like that. like he's trying to comfort her," and. Um, he, you you have the subversion of expectations where Tendi just says, "What do you mean? I'm I'm so I'm supportive. I'm like super happy for her. Go, you suture that girl." And I was like, "Yes, women are uplifting women." I just had a moment where I was like, "Thank you for writing that," because that's totally a in line with um, Starfleet uh, ideals and b in line with who Tendi is as a character. She's she's such an optimist and a and a positive helpful soul that to have her actually be jealous for prolonged periods of time would go against the grain of who she is um she's a genuine delight and just having that little line in there where she genuinely supports the exocomp at being better than her at medical procedures was just so nice it was delightful she just wanted to see what was going on but she wasn't feeling actual jealousy and i just like that about her character and i like that it was addressed and referenced and so Quickly and hilariously, because the poor other patient is now again ignored. <laughs> so I, I think what was really great about this one was it, there was actually a really thrilling, edge of your yeah, seat, dramatic no story happening too. I mean, the Packlids show up, you know, from TNG season two, I think it was Samaritan Snare, and they're not really as they're still as dumb as ever, but they've accrued enough technology that to they're actually a, a bit of a threat now. Yeah, which is the whole theme of. You know, this season. what's sort of been weaving through and what what Mariner has been saying is that the Federation is really is good, good at, at like first contact, shaking your hand and walking away and assuming everything's going to be fine. But then these threats sort of bubble up in the background and right, things they, get worse and they never follow up. Exactly. They're not so good on the follow through. They're not so good up on the follow, um, yeah. But I mean, the 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 crew of the Cerritos' sister ship, they all die. Like the, the ship gets blown up. They that get was it, they crazy. Get, they get a new ship and then they all die. 
And the the yeah. the battle scenes, like the exterior space battle scenes, are actually like really well animated. Like I some know. of the some of the most impressive. I mean, they're for the for the style. You know, given the right. constraints of the animated style, I'd say they're right up there in terms of like staging and and direct. You know, directing yeah. Yeah. with some of the some of the scenes from Discovery and Picard. Agreed. Um, I mean, it's a star. It's a Star Trek fight. Yeah, and then of course the you know the big fan favorite thing at the end that happens <laughs> is the titan shows up so we finally see the titan on screen for the first time and it's Riker and Troy and they have Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis there and they're like heightened cartoon versions of themselves but still recognizably them yes like Riker is like Riker dialed up to 11 and yes he's he's he's, he's all swagger and he's all about jazz and he's all about flirting yeah. and he's all about you know what I mean yeah yeah and Troy is like even drier and and sort of like more sardonic than usual yes um yeah, it's a lot of fun, and they get to, you know, we learn that he and Mariner are old friends, and they've got, you know, they have a lot of funny banter scenes, and there's more follow-up later where Ransom tries to hit on Troy, and then Boimler actually gets to go work on the on the Titan, so we're going to see more of at least, I, I think from what Mike McMahon said is that there's going to be more Riker next season, but the, there hasn't been yet, like, an, uh, an obvious way to work more Troy in there, so we might not see her or, or maybe only see her briefly or once or something like that, but we are going to get more Jonathan Frakes. Because um, you can sort of see how it would be a lot easier to work in scenes where Boimler is talking to his commanding officer versus scenes where he's talking to right. the ship's counselor. Right. right. Um, although I could see a lot of reasons why he, why he that character in particular might want to talk to a ship's counselor because I think he's going to get to the Titan and maybe he's going to feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome or something, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was all a lot of fun. But I, I think that, um, I mean, what what I've heard said, and I think it's true, is that this is this was a really strong season finale. I think, And so I was thinking of like, this is probably one of the strongest Star Trek season finales in a long time because I think that, the Discovery and Picard season finales were were very good, but I think that it's like season one of Discovery, both season finales of Discovery, I think, had their issues where I, they tended to, I think, get too bogged down in too many plot things going on. Um, and then the Picard season finale was good, but I mean, some people didn't didn't like certain aspects of it. Right. I, but I think that this is probably the like. There's certain people that are never going to be on board with the show, but the people that are like willing to give it a chance think that I'd, I'd say this is probably the most uniformly Universe, well-received yes, Star Trek season, well re- season finale since maybe, I don't know, season seven of Deep Space Nine, like the final episode of Deep Space Nine. I don't know, like in terms of like critical reception to a season right. finale. I would also go so far as to say, is this the most consistently solid first season of any Star Trek show? I think you I would think be, the yeah, only two is... the only two I would put up there are like season one of TOS had a ton of classic episodes, but huh? there were also a bunch of real there was all, also a bunch of weirdness in season one of TOS because they True. were just figuring stuff out. Right, and, yeah. you know what I mean. Season one of Discovery was was fantastic, but it kind of I it feel had like mixed episodes. There was so, stuff and... near the end. It was like oh ne- the now they're in the mirror. Like the first half, I think was pretty much flawless, and then they went to the mirror universe, and that. It ultimately ended up feeling like it was good, but it felt like kind of like a weird digression. And then they come back and the whole Klingon war thing felt like it just sort of petered out. Remember, because yeah, Lorel's like, oh, I have a bomb and I'll kill you all. It's like, oh, I guess the war's over. Like that sort of petered out. And not only that, but they came back like six months later or something. Like they were trapped in the, yeah. the, in the universe past it didn't, relevance. It, the, the conclusion didn't live up to the rest of it. And yeah. season, season two of Discovery, I think there was just too much plot stuff going on and it, it made it sort of hard to feel fully invested in it as much as I enjoyed it. But I think that this one... Like new the season one of the show, like for for what they were trying to do, I think think it was pretty much perfectly executed. Like you, you yes. ten episodes, you know, 
you get way like I don't even know what it is 30 percent 40 percent of the screen time that a season of discovery gets and yet yeah. you feel like you know these characters really well yeah. you know and you want to see more about them in the show the crew kind of already feels like a family yep um I think it was really well done I think that they I don't think there was a bad episode in there I think that the first couple of episodes maybe weren't like the show got better as it went along and so I feel like the first couple you know, in retrospect, maybe don't hold up as well as the later ones, but even they were very good. And the the, la- the last four or five episodes of the season, I feel like were, were fantastic. So I think this might be like the, <laughs> the most consistently high quality first season of any Star Trek show, which yep. is pretty remarkable since it's the one that everybody was writing off yep. before it even aired as some weird, like embarrassing lark that, that nobody would like, you know? Right. Yeah, but I think it's really good. And they're already working on season two. Uh, next week we get season three of Discovery starts. You know, everybody's way in the future in the 32nd century. So this, everybody's intrigued to see what happens there. Yep. Um, they were going to, I assume, want to have season two of Picard ready to go in 13 weeks when Discovery season three ends, but they haven't even started shooting that. So I think that we're going to have a bit of a wait after season three of Discovery ends. I don't know. We're probably a year away from more. I think more lower decks, probably... Like next summer yeah. at the earliest. Yeah. So I and that might be the next thing because if they haven't started shooting Picard yet, but they're already done writing most of Lower Decks season two. I mean, the animation takes seven or eight months at least. But I think that that season two of Lower Decks might be the next Star Trek we get after Discovery, and then maybe by then Picard season two will be ready, and then maybe season four of Discovery will be ready, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um. But yeah, they show no signs of wanting to and any of these shows like there's going to be everybody's acting as if more seasons of discovery are a given and and i think based on the reception of season one of lower decks they'd be they'd be dumb not to you know sometime between now and when season two premieres to to officially say that there's going to be more of that as well i know why you wouldn't do that yeah it was it was really good yeah i agree it was really tremendous it was awesome and i can't wait for the next season Mm mm-hmm um, yeah, is that it? That's it. Oh, my. So if you want to reach out, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. Um, oh, I thought of one, but then I forgot. Oh, hang on. Oh, how about whoosh? What was that? Warp. Ooh. Yeah. 